This episode of Board Star on Being Bored is sponsored by the Northwestern Mutual Foundation. Welcome to Board Star on Being Bored. I'm Pat Wispinski of the Nonprofit Management Fund. We're podcasting from our storefront office in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Many organizations find that lobbying is an important part of fulfilling the mission. Some groups lobby but don't know it. While legislative advocacy is a perfectly acceptable activity for a 501c3 organization under the tax law, IRS penalties for excessive lobbying can be harsh, including the loss of tax-exempt status. Lobbying is a scary word. So how much advocacy is appropriate and how much lobbying is too much? Today, my guest is Linda Honnold, who is the Executive Director of Citizen Action of Wisconsin Education Fund, and she also chairs the Advisory Council for the Wisconsin Civic Engagement Project, as well as the Development and Strategic Planning Committees for U.S. Action. Welcome, Linda. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I think a lot of nonprofit organizations find the laws that limit lobbying to be confusing. Maybe you could give our listeners an overview of the difference between lobbying and advocacy and what's legally acceptable. All organizations have the right to lobby and to advocate. It's a question of how we do it and how much we do of it. Advocacy is the umbrella of how we go about this kind of work, and it would include things like public education, research, and lobbying. All of it is legal. It's just a question of how we do it and when we do it and the rules that we need to follow. Most of the rules for advocacy are pretty general. When we get to lobbying, there are some rules that can be confusing. But I actually believe that most organizations ought to engage in lobbying. We should engage in letting our legislators know what it is that we want to see. Is that really what lobbying is, talking to your legislators? Lobbying actually is defined as communication with a legislator that expresses a view about specific legislation. It's not lobbying if one of those elements is missing. So most of the folks that are listening to this would uh, certainly be able to talk to a legislator about something that they care about. There are some standards that must be followed. Is there a form that groups have to file? They have a choice on that matter. They can either file a form, which is called a 501H, or they can use what's called the insubstantial part test, which says that as long as a charity is using an insubstantial part of their activities on lobbying, that it's okay. Now, the problem with that is that insubstantial is not defined by the Internal Revenue Service, and so you have to kind of guess what they mean. So actually, organizations are safer if they file this 501H form. You just shared with me a copy of that form, and where it may sound pretty intimidating, it really only asks for identifying information, contact information for the organization, and a signature. That's it. And you file it once, and as long as it is on record, you can use up to 20% of the first $500,000 in income in your organization for lobbying. That's a pretty substantial amount that is legally allowable, and the form is in place just to allow that to happen. Does your organization engage in more advocacy than lobbying, or...? 
The organization that I'm the executive director of engages in a huge amount of advocacy. We actually advocate for issues on an ongoing basis. Next week, for instance, we have a group of 10 people going on a bus out to Washington, D.C. to join thousands of other people to advocate for health care reform. So they'll meet on the mall, they will have the media there, they will have signs, they will be conducting chants and all of the things that you would normally see. That's advocacy. They're saying we as a group of people want health care reform. We also, though, have worked with those individuals and helped them set up appointments to go meet with their legislators. When they go to individually meet with the senators or with their staff, that's lobbying. And you must track the time that they are meeting with them, but also the expenses involved in the bus trip. Where it is a volunteer, we don't have to track it quite as rigidly if we have filed that 501H form. We only have to track what is actually expenses for our staff and our organization. So if it's volunteer time, we don't have to track that if we filed the 501H. If we have not, we actually have to track all of the volunteer time as well. And so all of that time counts toward that substantial part of the organization test. So you're actually much safer having filed that 501H form. You must also include the staff time in organizing this group and giving them a script or at least talking points for their meetings, right? Absolutely. So as the staff works with these volunteers to train them and help them figure out what they want to say, that does need to be tracked because that we're spending money on. I've often heard the term grassroots lobbying. Is that a different kind of effort? Grassroots lobbying is where the communication is with the public. It expresses a view about specific legislation and includes a call to action. And so all groups probably partake in advocacy, educating the public about certain issues or even participating in rallies. But when it's moved towards legislation or legislator, that's the lobbying piece. That's correct. So if we track all of our expenses, Linda, exactly what was spent on which activity, who do we tell? Would we report it on something at the end of the year? Yeah, you report it as a part of your annual 990. It's on Schedule A, and there's the opportunity for you to fill in how much has been expended on lobbying activities, both grassroots and direct. Linda, for the most part, we've been talking about 501c3 organizations, but there is another tax status of 501c4 that is designed to assist with lobbying. Organizations can set up as a 501c4 organization, which allows you to do unlimited lobbying. It also allows you, if it's a membership organization, to endorse candidates who support your issues. There are lots of rules that go along with this kind of thing, and I certainly wouldn't step forward into that without consulting an attorney and consulting my tax person. But it is another option that allows you to do a stronger form of lobbying. That money, however, that's contributed to help you do that kind of work is not tax deductible. Linda, as we wind up this podcast, what advice do you have for our listeners as they tackle the next issue that is important to their organization? I think the first thing that I would recommend is that you have an actual plan, that you sit down and think this through and say, what is the issue? What do we care about? Who do we need to talk to? 
what public needs to be educated who can help us also to influence this. And then if you're going to do lobbying, very specifically lay out what you're going to do and put in place the mechanisms for tracking. A resource that I would recommend that everyone take a look at is provided by the Alliance for Justice. They actually have a website that is extremely useful. It's uh, www.allianceforjustice.org. And on that website, they have one-page answers to frequently asked questions about lobbying. They have a couple of really wonderful publications, Worry-Free Lobbying for Nonprofits, How to Use the 501H Election to Maximize Effectiveness. And then the other one that I'd recommend is called Being a Player, A Guide to the IRS Lobbying Regulations for Advocacy Charities. Both are excellent. Their website is fabulous. Well, thank you for telling our listeners about that resource. And thank you for being with me today and sharing some of your expertise about this issue of advocacy and lobbying. Thanks, Pat. It's been wonderful to be here. BoardStar envisions strong nonprofit organizations governed by diverse, passionate, and resourceful leaders. Support for BoardStar is provided by the Northwestern Mutual Foundation, committed to inspiring human potential through lifelong learning and commitment to community. This educational podcast is sponsored by Northwestern Mutual, The Quiet Company, building lifelong relationships in communities for 150 years. Thanks for listening.